This series contains adult language and descriptions of graphic violence throughout. Listener discretion is advised. Cavalry Audio. Welcome to The Pink Moon Murders, a production of iHeartRadio and Cavalry Audio. Episode 6, The Most Bizarre Story I Have Ever Seen. Well, good afternoon. We promised that the day would come when arrests would be made in the Pike County massacres. Today is that day. Ohio Attorney General Mike DeWine was speaking at a press conference on November 13th, 2018, with Pike County Sheriff Charlie Reeder standing tall on his right. This has been by far the longest, most complex and labor-intensive investigation the Ohio Attorney General's office has ever undertaken. It's been the most sophisticated, the biggest operation BCI has ever undertaken. Our investigators, our analysts, have lived this case, have lived it. It is like a thousand-piece puzzle, um, and you just literally, because we had no witnesses, Everybody who was a witness was dead. And so you start with nothing, and you start putting those pieces together. DeWine said more than four dozen law enforcement and related agencies helped the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation and the Sheriff's Office. He called Sheriff Reeder a great partner. Here's Reeder at the press conference. I'd only been sheriff of Pike County less than a year before April 22nd of 2016. And that day changed a lot of our lives including mine. The images of the houses, the bodies, the scenes, I can never erase them. Members of one family conspired, planned, carried out, and then allegedly covered up their violent act to wipe out members of another family. They did this quickly, coldly, calmly, and very carefully, but not carefully enough. Dwine, the state's top prosecutor, was based in Columbus and had been elected governor of Ohio just one week earlier. He would be sworn into that role in January. For the time being, his job remained getting justice. But for Reeder, who had grown up in Pike County and planned on being the sheriff for a long time, the mission was personal as well as professional. He wanted to assure his citizens they could sleep safely at night, and that included his family, friends, and co-workers. He spoke forcefully. We are a place that doesn't let cowardly murderers get away with their crimes under the cover of darkness. We're the place that finds justice for victims, and today is a big step on that path. No one, no one deserved in the dark of the night for cowards to come in while sleeping and execute them in a way that would be unbelievable to anyone, including law enforcement. After Reeder and DeWine finished speaking, with Pike County Prosecutor Rob Junk addressing reporters for a few minutes as well. They took questions. Some concerned the almost half a million dollars worth of illegal marijuana plants growing at the two rodent homesteads, and if that was a factor in the shootings. The sheriff sounded sensible. So regardless of if we found marijuana on the property, the vehicles, everything that we've done, we've done because of the victims had no voice and were their voice now. Every... every Everybody that's investigated the case, we were working an eight-person homicide. 
not a marijuana grow room. And I believe today, as I did back then, that they deserve more respect because they are true victims of a heinous crime that's never been seen before. DeWine danced around the issue. We could not control, uh, nor were we in a position to deny um, speculation that's gone on for the last two and a half years about drug gangs coming in, the Mexican drug cartel, and all of those things. If you'll notice, we've been pretty careful about what we, we, have, we have said. There was an undercurrent of drugs. Uh, there's, there's no evidence of all the speculation that this was drug, necessarily drug-related in the sense of the motive, but uh, there was, there's an undercurrent. He laid out what he believes is the real motive. There certainly was obsession um, with custody, obsession with control of children. Um, I just might tell you this is just the most bizarre story uh, I've ever seen in being involved in, in law enforcement. I mean, when, when the entire story, as it will unfold at trial, uh, it is just, it, it's just, un it's just amazing. The grand jury indictments for the four Wagners, Billy and Angela, and their sons, George and Jake, are similar. Each includes 22 felony counts. Count one says, on or about the 22nd day of April, 2016, at the county of Pike and in the state of Ohio, did unlawfully and purposely, and with prior calculation and design, cause the death of another, to wit, Kenneth Roden. I'm not sure why Kenneth was listed first. Is that an important detail? Count two is for Chris Roden Sr. Count nine is conspiracy with other defendants in purchasing ammunition, shoes, at least one brass catcher, that's a device that collects shell casings that fly out of a firearm, and other items, as well as sharing information about Roden's sleeping locations and pets, moving Gary's and Chris's bodies, and other activities. The remaining counts were for burglary, unlawful possession of dangerous ordnance, tampering with evidence, forgery of custody documents, unauthorized use of property, including hacking a computer, interception of wire, oral, or electronic communications, and obstructing justice. The aggravated murder counts have death penalty specifications. An executioner with the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Correction might carry out the ultimate punishment for one or more of the defendants. Jake was the only one hit with a 23rd count, unlawful sexual conduct with a minor. Hannah Mae Roden was 15 years old when she conceived baby Sophia. He was 20. Rita Jo Newcomb and Frederica Wagner, great-grandmothers of Sophia, were charged too. Rita Jo's five felony counts included forgery of custody documents, obstructing justice, and perjury. Frederica's two felony counts were for obstructing justice and perjury. What is going on? Who are the Wagners? And why would those four members of a family murder eight members of a different family if the allegations are true, with great-grandmothers lying to investigators? What is this obsession with custody all about? DeWine, Reader, and Prosecutor Junk also published a news release on November 13th. In it, DeWine said, the indictments allege that these suspects developed a calculated plan to execute the victims in the middle of the night and then carefully cover their tracks. Their alleged plan was sophisticated, 
but not sophisticated enough for our team of investigators and prosecutors. The six suspects had been indicted by a Pike County grand jury examining evidence for months. According to the news release, the indictments were filed a few days after authorities identified a firearm suppressor, also known as a silencer, they believe was made by the suspects. DeWine continued, quote, the Wagners were friends with the rodents and had been for years. They knew the layouts of the rodents' homes and they knew the victims' routines. It is our belief that the suspects used this knowledge to meticulously plan these horrendous, cold-blooded murders, end quote. Great-grandmothers Rita Joe and Frederica were apprehended early that day at their respective homes. So was Angela at her home. Her sons, George and Jake, were pulled over while driving together in Ross County on the north side of Pike and arrested. A Pike County hotel owner has BCI's plans for arresting George and Jake and offered to sell them to me for a few thousand dollars. Agents sleeping overnight had left them on tables and in garbage cans, and he saved them. They included photos of George and Jake, a vehicle belonging to them, its license plate, and their home inside and out, I assume from an earlier search warrant that had been executed. There was also a diagram for pulling over their car. Evidently, the Wagner brothers worked together and left for work the same time every morning. Police were going to let them drive for about 10 minutes before arresting them. I glanced at the various sheets of paper, but my policy is not to pay for information, so I couldn't take and study them in detail. Billy's capture took place at an equine hospital down in Lexington, Kentucky. It was caught on a police officer's body cam while Billy was with a horse trailer from his family's Ohio farm. Sir, it's gonna stick me, probably. Yeah, I got you have any firearms on you? I got a Leverman's tool on my right. What about a firearm or anything like that? No. Right. Hold on, let me lock them. Well, you're under arrest right now. That's what's going on. When I watched the arrest video, 
I was struck by how enormous Billy is. The jail recorded him as being six feet, six inches, and 274 pounds. He towered over the police officers during the arrest. At 47 years old, he reminded me of a retired NFL lineman. With bushy blonde hair and green eyes, per jail records, and a scruffy, overgrown goatee, he also reminded me of a Viking. On his left arm, visible in his first court appearance, was a tattoo of three interlocked triangles. It's an ancient Norse symbol that's been appropriated by some white supremacists. And he had other tattoos, including a scorpion, on his hands and arms. Billy, after being extradited from Kentucky, was the last murder suspect to be arraigned. The first was his son, Jake. Wearing a jail uniform with his hands and feet shackled and a jacket draped over his shoulders on the cold day in November, Jake was led into the Pike County Courthouse and up the stairs to the one courtroom on the second floor. It was packed with loved ones of Rodens, Manleys, and Gillies, as well as Wagners, and several reporters and deputies. Sheriff Reeder stood vigilant. Leonard Manley leaned forward in his seat while wearing an unbuttoned flannel shirt and a t-shirt that said, Justice for Gilly and the Rodens. Geneva slumped in her seat while her lips quivered. Her son Tony sat next to her in the front row seat closest to Jake and watched attentively. Jake sat impassively as Judge Randy Deering took an hour to read his indictment. Jake was tall and skinny at six feet, one inch, and 165 pounds. He had light brown, shoulder-length hair, and on his face grew a Van Dyke beard. He reminded me of Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. Throughout the arraignment, his breathing remained slow and normal. He kept his eyes fixed on the judge while occasionally blinking, swallowing, and cocking back a side of his mouth. He sometimes glanced at papers one of his attorneys was holding. Jake was represented by two attorneys from Ohio's Office of the Public Defender. He had declared indigency. He had no money for his defense. The state of Ohio was represented by Special Assistant Prosecutor Angela Canepa from Attorney General Mike DeWine's office in Columbus and Pike County Prosecutor Rob Junk. Because it took so much time to read the indictment, with Judge Deering speaking deliberately, I'll fast forward. Here's when he asked Jake about the first count, the aggravated murder of Kenneth. Now, do you feel that you understand all of the elements involved in count one of the indictment uh, and in the specifications to count one and the possible penalties that may be imposed uh, if you are found guilty on count one and guilty of one or more of those specifications? Now, I'm going to read count two. Jake's aloof demeanor during that long arraignment reminded me of the photo of him standing next to Hannah May at the 2012 homecoming dance at Piketon High School. In both settings, he was trying hard to act cool. But maybe it wasn't an act. Maybe he really was cool, cold. Only cold-hearted killers could sneak into all those homes and press triggers that many times to shoot that many sleeping people, splattering blood and brain matter onto babies. In the aftermath, Jake started the GoFundMe account to raise money. He stated, Sophia and I are just asking for enough to settle the fees that we acquired due to the horrific tragedy to her mommy. But did he commit that horrific tragedy? And then he was seeking sympathy and cash for it? That's cold-hearted if he did. 
The Pink Moon Murders will return after the break. And now, back to The Pink Moon Murders. Jake also attended the visitation of at least one person he allegedly murdered. Tony Roden told me about it. A year and a half after the murders, Tony stumbled across an online news segment. He couldn't remember which station had unknowingly caught Jake and his brother George and their dad Billy attending the visitation for Gary Roden down at Crockett L. Reed Funeral Home in Greenup County, Kentucky, but he thought it was from Cincinnati. Tony said the funeral home didn't allow reporters onto its parking lot, but they set up at the nearby dollar store. He said a TV reporter was interviewing Lisa, who he described as Gary's brother's ex-wife, when the three Wagner men appeared on camera. He said about Lisa and the reporter, they're speaking and they're panning across that parking lot to that funeral home, and son of a gun if they ain't interviewing her and they're walking in. It took several days of searching before I finally discovered the news segment. On April 27, 2016, Cincinnati's NBC affiliate, WLWT5, was reporting on Gary's visitation and the murders in general. Here's Lisa. It's senseless. It's just senseless. They were all good people. Immediately after she spoke, the camera showed people standing outside the funeral home, and one of them was Billy Wagner. His head was shaved, and his back was to the camera. I wasn't sure it was him, but his enormous size was a giveaway. The reporter spoke a few more seconds, and then Lisa spoke again. They're cowards. They're simply cowards. As she said the word cowards the second time, the camera cut to show the three Wagner men casually walking into the funeral home. Viewers can clearly see their faces. All three were wearing blue jeans and flannel shirts, Billy's largely unbuttoned over a white t-shirt, and Jake was wearing a baseball cap. Billy had a goatee and a black eye and bruises on his left cheek. Somebody had hit him in the face really hard, a few times. I get chills thinking of alleged mass murderers showing up at the visitation for one of their victims. I wonder what they were talking about as they walked inside. And I wonder how Billy got the bruises. We're posting a link to this news segment at our website. Anyhow, toward the end of his arraignment, Jake pleaded not guilty to all 23 counts. Judge Deering did not allow him to bound out, although it seemed he didn't have the money regardless. Jake also waived his right to a speedy trial. And so did his brother, mom, and dad at their later arraignments. That plus delays for the COVID-19 pandemic and a tremendous amount of evidence to analyze means their criminal trials have not started yet, even though it's been more than two years since their arrests. All four will be tried separately. And at the end of Jake's arraignment, the prosecutors and defense attorneys jointly requested for Judge Deering to gag each side, including police officers and paralegals. Court will so order then that, uh, that uh, neither counsel nor any agents of the parties uh, or agents of counsel working on this matter shall not discuss it with uh, members of the media. That gag order has been a hindrance to my fact-finding, but during my visits to Southern Appalachian, Ohio, I did learn a lot about the Wagners. I'll start with Billy. George Washington Wagner III, AKA Billy, is the youngest child of Frederica Wagner. His dad, her husband, died of natural causes in 2017. Billy has an older sister and an older brother. 
Billy was born in 1971 in Dayton. I learned of his birthplace while spending many days researching old records, ones kept in manila envelopes and big, heavy, handwritten journals going back to the 1800s in courthouses in Brown, Adams, and Pike counties. Their online records go back only about 20 years. I was turned away from an office at the Scioto County Courthouse when I tried to research some records because I hadn't made an appointment and visits were being limited because of COVID-19. But I did find some relevant records on its website. I also spoke on the phone and or emailed with officials at courthouses in Ross, Claremont, and Hamilton counties, as well as a few in Kentucky. Ironically, Dayton lies in Montgomery County, which I did not contact. An official with the Brown County Health Department, after I showed up one day, read details from Billy's birth certificate, although she wasn't allowed to give me a copy. At that point, I hadn't discovered much about the early history of the Wagner family, but I did read a newspaper article from the 1980s that said they came from near Cincinnati. Brown is one of the counties between Hamilton County, which has Cincinnati, and Pike. The official said that in Billy's file on her computer was also a record of his name change. I thought she was mistaken because in a year and a half of research, I hadn't come across any name changes, but she was sure. She said his name at birth was William Emanuel Wagner, and at age 15, on November 5th, 1986, he changed it to George Washington Wagner III. That took place in Pike County. So the next day, I introduced myself at the Pike County Juvenile and Probate Courts, and Deputy Clerk Liz Evans helped me dig up a manila folder holding documents for his name change. Billy's birth name was indeed William Emanuel Wagner. On his petition to change name was typed, the petitioner desires to be named after his paternal grandfather, George Washington Wagner, and his father, George Washington Wagner Jr. The petition also said the intended name change had been published on September 30th in the local newspaper, which back then was called the Waverly News Watchman. Interestingly, on the outside of the manila folder was handwritten, Wagner, change of name, and under that was written, Attorney Randy Deering. One of the documents inside also mentioned a person named Randy Deering. That was an affidavit of publication with a charge of $11.90 billed to him. It seems a Randy Deering handled the newspaper announcement in addition to working with Billy for the name change. If it's the same person, what an amazing career arc to go from working with the teenage Billy for a name change as loving homage to his dad and grandpa to presiding over a murder case in which Billy might be sentenced to death with his sons and wife. Billy was homeschooled like his sister and brother, I was told by several people, including Tony Roden, an employee at Piketon High School, and a longtime insider at his parents' Flying W Farms. I asked those people what he did for a living, and they said that when he worked, it was on the 1,800 acres his parents owned, mostly with the Arabian, dressage, and miniature horses the family had become famous for. But I should note that a rodent told me Billy's parents, for decades the largest landowners in Pike County, might have created a trust fund for him. So maybe he didn't need a paying job. Then again, he also has a criminal history with stolen property, so maybe money has not trickled down to him, or at least all the time. In 2001, according to the Cincinnati Enquirer, Billy, quote, 
was the subject of a Pike County Sheriff's Office investigation after various power tools, dirt bikes, and other items went missing from Eastern High School and from lumber, electric, and hardwood stores, end quote. Deputies searched his and Angela's mobile home, shed, and horse trailer on their land near his mom and dad's Flying W Farms. The Enquirer reported, quote, Billy Wagner was told he had until the following day to turn over the stolen property. The next morning, he surrendered dozens of stolen items to the sheriff's office, end quote. Pike County Common Pleas Court records show Billy was indicted on three felonies, but months later pleaded no contest to two misdemeanors of receiving stolen property. He was sentenced to 180 days in jail on each count, but that was suspended. He also received three years of probation and a $500 fine. In 2009, he and Angela were charged with receiving stolen property and tampering with evidence, two felonies each. But the case was dropped because they didn't receive a speedy trial. Yet they were ordered not to contact Rocky Mountain Boot Company. In 2012 in Ross County, where Chillicothe is the county seat, a jury convicted Billy and Angela of misdemeanor receiving stolen property. But the original charge for each was a felony. The items were from Hobby Lobby and other big box stores. Each was sentenced to 10 days in jail, in addition to time already served. But that would be suspended if within 14 days they paid a total restitution of $248 to Sam's Club and $242 to Walmart. They also each received a $500 fine and a year of community control. Additionally, Billy pleaded no contest in 2001 in Portsmouth Municipal Court down in Scioto County to a firearm violation. A driver called police to report Billy had waved a handgun at him during a road rage incident. After police stopped Billy's car, they found the weapon in Angela's purse. They were both charged with the firearm violation, but her case was dropped after he pleaded guilty. Billy's sentence included 30 days in jail, suspended, and he had to pay a $100 fine plus court costs. The weapon was destroyed. More Pink Moon murders after a word from our sponsors. We now return to the Pink Moon murders. Anyhow, the current charges for murdering the rodents are at least the fourth time Angela and Billy have been criminally charged together, including in 2012, 2009, and 2001. Also in 2001, Billy and Angela filed for bankruptcy. Two years earlier, they were sued by an attorney representing Southern Ohio Medical Center, an anesthetist, and Columbia Gas of Ohio for $539, and a judgment was made for that amount. The same attorney sued Billy and Angela a second time that year while representing the medical center and a different professional. That claim was for $1,384. A garnishment was filed with Crystal Springs Home, which answered that the last date of employment was Christmas Eve, 1999, although it's not clear if that was for both or just one of them. Crystal Springs Home is a small group home standing as a nonprofit island in the middle of Flying W Farms, Incorporated. Billy's mom, Frederica, has led the nonprofit for decades. Regarding the bankruptcy, the Cincinnati Enquirer reported, quote, their assets were listed at about $2,500 and their liabilities at about $10,000, including almost $2,500 owed to Sears for clothing 
$500 in medical bills, and $325 in unpaid utility bills. Their only monthly income listed was $530 in Social Security payments and $389 in food stamps, end quote. Billy and Angela were living on Bethel Hill Road from at least 2001 to 2012, according to court records. Bethel Hill runs along the western border of Flying W Farms. Many of the parcels in the area are owned by Billy's parents, who have had land installment contracts with residents over the decades. I wonder if his parents cut him and Angela a break. I didn't find other criminal cases against Billy or Angela, and this included my sitting in small rooms and courthouses and flipping through those big, heavy journals where old records were handwritten in cursive. I did see some other civil and traffic cases. Billy Wagner and Angela Joe Carter applied for a marriage license in Pike County on January 10, 1991, when he was 19 and she was 20. On the application, they described themselves as self-employed. Her address was 2492 Lloyd's Run Road, and his was 2495. Lloyd's Run largely serves as the northern border of Flying W Farms. An official in the Pike County Government Center's property map office did some research and then told me that both of those addresses no longer exist. She said Billy and Angela probably lived in neighboring trailers that were later removed. Both parcels of land have been owned by Billy's parents for decades, so Angela, or her family because she was young, likely had a contract with them. I've driven along that road several times. It's a working class area with corn stalks and soybean plants growing all around. Angela's upbringing was much more modest than Billy's. She lived there after leaving the U.S. Air Force, where she served for about a year, which is an unusually short enlistment period. And she might have lived there before serving in the military. Before I continue, I'll mention that although Billy and Angela applied for a marriage license, Liz Evans from the Pike County Probate Court told me she has no record of them actually getting married. She suggested I contact the Ohio Department of Health's Bureau of Vital Statistics to ask if they got married elsewhere in the state. I did, and the answer again was no. According to Liz, It's highly possible that one of three things occurred. One, they did not get married at all. Two, they did get married, but the minister failed to return the stub to the court for proper recording. Or three, they let this license expire and then got married somewhere else. Liz added, regarding whether Billy and Angela actually got married. Very interesting to say the least, and I'd be curious as to what they report as of their marriage date. I searched Ancestry.com, and it had no record of Angela or Billy getting married in any other state. But I should point out that Ancestry.com is by no means comprehensive. I asked Liz to check probate records to see if Angela had legally changed her last name to Wagner from her maiden name of Carter, and she found nothing for that as well. So we didn't find a record of her getting married, which in Ohio would have automatically changed her last name back then, or her petitioning to change her last name. But one thing is for sure. When her first child, George IV, was born on October 6, 1991, her name on his birth certificate was Angela Jo Wagner. As far as I can tell, neither of Angela and Billy's sons had a criminal record prior to being arrested in November 2018, when George was 27 and Jake was 26. Both of them had been homeschooled, like their dad, and as young adults, both worked as diesel mechanics as well as a truck driving duo, with one sleeping while the other drove. They were also involved with demolition derbies. In fact, Hannah May and Jake met at a derby 
Tony Roden told me. In February 2014, George and Jake together bought a house on Peterson Road near Peebles in Adams County. Their mom and dad moved in with them. According to the deed at the Adams County Courthouse, they moved directly from their Bethel Hill Road home that was part of Frederica and George Wagner Jr.'s land empire. Their new two-story house was built in 1901 and well-maintained. It was listed as having three bedrooms, six rooms total, and one bathroom, while sitting just a quarter mile off Route 32. And with 71 acres of pasture land, cropland, and forest, with natural springs and frontage along a creek, it offered great hunting of deer and other game. It sounds ideal. Jake was probably proud to show it to his girlfriend, Hannah Mae, and their newborn daughter, Sophia. It had to be more comfortable than the trailer they'd been living in on Union Hill Road. And it came with a second family. Besides Jake and his parents, and his brother George, George's wife Tabitha and their son Bullvine would live there too. Tabitha and George were just a little older than Hannah Mae and Jake, but equally in love. And Bullvine was just a little older than Sophia, sort of an older brother. Curious to know what life was like for the Wagners on Peterson Road, I was able to speak with a neighbor for 25 minutes. That narrow, one-lane Appalachian back road has only a couple of houses. There's neighbors to me for a few years, and the boys have never cussed. They've never drank. They didn't smoke. They were as polite, friendly as they could be. It's about their kids. They loved the kids. And evidently, they loved them an awful lot. But as the neighbor continued speaking, it became clear that life was not easy for Hannah Mae and Tabitha. Fearful in case one or more of the Wagners gets released, the neighbor didn't want their voice used, so we're garbling it, and mine too because of some crosstalk. Them two girls absolutely would work like slaves. They work in girls, I mean, all the time, and this is God's truth. If you look up there from barn walk through the fences and stuff, they dug in post holes by hand, and girls did. The girls? Yes. They went to the yard. I mean, they done, they cooked, they done everything, and mama, Mama was Angela, so life was not as ideal as it first appeared. And eventually something went tragically wrong. Tabitha had to flee the house, later divorcing George and losing all parental rights to their son. And Hannah Mae fled as well. So what would make life so bad that these young moms would leave their men, who on the surface seemed to be hardworking and family-oriented, as well as scions of the largest landowner in Pike County? The Pink Moon Murders is a Cavalry audio production in association with iHeartRadio. Written and narrated by David Ratterman. Produced by Brandon Morgan of Cavalry Audio and Casey Wayland for Wayland Productions. Edited by Tim Mulhern. Executive produced by Dana Brunetti and Keegan Rosenberger. <laughs>